0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Erie Edinburgh in Conversation. My name is Louise Dodds and I am here with the founder of Erie Edinburgh, Wayne Gilbert. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm
1: good. I'm good.
0: So we've known each other for what, about 95 years?
1: 96 I think.
0: Something like that. Feels like it. Um, So tell us a little bit about where your passion for the ghosts came from and why you started Erie Edinburgh?
1: So uh, I've always been fascinated by paranormal stuff ever since I can remember. Um, Some of my first memories, some of my core memories are my big sister locking me in my boiler cupboard, (laughs) playing War of the Worlds at full volume and then coming out to find the Hamlin book of horror on my bed. If, if you know the book as well, the front cover illustration of the vampire getting staked is something that's just stuck with me.
0: How old were you then?
1: Oh, I'd probably be, I don't think I would be any older than eight. Oh. Um, but I also remember seeing a lot of adverts on the telly for things like Salem's Lot and The Omen. and um, never wanting to watch the films because they were far too scary for me but I, I was fascinated to learn about the story behind it. So I'd talk to my mum about it, who would watch them and get her to talk to me about the story. So I kind of realized that I, I although it's scared and it still does, it scares the hell out of me. I love the story aspect of the paranormal. Mm-hmm. More so than, than these days where you've got like the investigation programs. I, I, I'll, I'll watch them, but I, I kind of subconsciously switch off. After they give the, the story, the history of the place, mm-hmm. the story of the, the hauntings, that kind of thing, it's it's that aspect, it's the storytelling part of it that I've always been fascinated with. Uh, I've had a couple of experiences through the years. Um, I've seen what I, th- I think possibly was an apparition when I was about 15 or 16, and uh, when I took my young family to the Isle of Ghia in 2006, we had some strange experiences there, which is kind of... Just kept that real interest in everything that's unusual going with me. You know, it, whenever somebody talks about an experience that they've had, I get I get interested. It's kind of the only way I can describe it is like when you're sat by a fireplace and the lights go down and you just focus fully on the story. It's like I get interested in it. There's nothing else that really does that for me. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always loved the story aspect of it. Uh, I'd started Erie Edinburgh. Um, during the pandemic, I think like everybody I was bored, I needed a, a wee bit of a hobby. Um, and on Instagram, I've been following a couple of uh, channels. Uh, the one that, that really sticks out is one called North Edinburgh Nightmares, which is run by a, a really talented storyteller called John Tantalan uh, and a lass called Kerry, who's, who's fairly recently joined. Both of them really, really knowledgeable about the, the ghosts of Edinburgh and really good at telling the stories as well, keeping them alive. But I was kind of watching what they were doing and and following what they were doing, and they focused on the the Leith, the Trinity areas, the Granton areas, stories that I'd never heard before, which was really really good. and made me realise that there's more to Edinburgh than the the ghosts that are in the vaults or Mary King's Close or Greyfriars uh, graveyard. Um, and I was kind of like I, I could do something along these lines as well. Mm-hmm. Um. And I've I've got tons and tons of books on Scottish folklore, Scottish ghosts and hauntings, that kind of thing. And I'd previously run a a website for uh, my other passion, which is hill walking. I used to have a website called Walk This Woman.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I ever saw that.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't really talk about it that much. I didn't do that much with it, but, um, so yeah, I had the experience of, of managing a website. And in July last year uh, I, I got a website, I um, started com. and um, started recording some of the stories uh, and then I started to get uh, one or two people who were uh, submitting stories themselves and talking to other people mm-hmm. and it just kind of felt like this is a, an opportunity to continue that kind of the, the work that the likes of North Edinburgh Nightmares are doing but on a, a, a bigger scale um, this Edinburgh has so much history, you know. There's a thousand years worth of history. If, if you go back to the Bronze Age, you know, the, the, is it the Verdun people people um, lived where Edinburgh Castle now stands. There was Pictish people that lived there, or Celts. Can't quite remember. So the, there is, you know, ages of history in Edinburgh. There's hundreds of years of intrigue. There's political, you know, intrigue. There's murder. There's death. There's war. Edinburgh Castle is the most besieged building in the UK. Oh wow. Twenty six times or twenty three wow. times, I think it's been under siege. Um, so there's so much more than than what you you know. If you were to put into YouTube, Edinburgh ghosts, mm-hmm. it would come up with the vaults. It would come up with Grey mm-hmm. But if you if you look at the Royal Mile, I think uh, I've got a very rudimentary PDF map where I've pl- plotted out the ghosts that I'm aware of, and there's about twenty six or twenty seven different stories just in the Royal Mile, and, and that's, that's only the ones that I know. You know, there's there's more haunted pubs. Than, than I'm aware of. And then when you go into the new town, some of the most incredible stories from Edinburgh are, are based in the new town. Um, some of them are, are within a half mile, you know, you've got the like Buckingham Terrace, you've got Anne Street, there's Learmonth Gardens, the Learmonth Hotel. There You could you could be in all of these different areas within about five minutes walk. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I thought I'll do that. Um, and then and I had a couple of people that suggested to me maybe I could do a podcast like this. And I was always like, I don't want to do that because I sound like a bored <laughs> Ally McCoist when I speak. <laughs> so I kind of I shied away from doing that. But over Christmas last year, um, I, I was writing up an, another story, just a very short one, um, called The Murder in Bible Land. And Bible Land, for those who don't know, is um, in the Canongate of, of the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Um, and I just thought, why not give it a bash? Put it out on YouTube. Um, I had access to some stock footage so I could pres- uh, I could uh, visualise the story for mm-hmm. people as well. And it gave me an opportunity to go around and take some pictures and things like that. So I put that that episode out on YouTube just at the end of last year. I think it got about f- five or six views. Um, but that was five or six more than I thought it was going to get. And then I, I worked on another one which was The Haunting of Buckingham Terrace. Uh, I put that up and that had maybe... 15, 20 views and then I went to bed one night and it had over a thousand views so it really took off. Amazing. Uh, yeah. and I got really, really lovely comments from people on, on YouTube, very supportive, very encouraging so I kind of was like, okay, let's give it a bash mm. um, and I think uh, right now I've 26 odd videos up there and there's been about 250,000 views between wow. all of them. Yeah, so that's amazing. How Congratulations.
0: Came out. Yeah, I've watched them and they are excellent. So, I highly recommend that. Um, we'll talk about some of them in some other episodes. So, I think for this first episode, it would be really interesting to hear about your experiences. So, you said the your first experience was around 15, 16. You saw an apparition.
1: Yeah. So, I, I lived in an area called Commiston, uh, Pentland Grove, to be precise. I won't give the number because there are people that live in that house. Um, although I don't actually think that house is haunted. Um, it was just a weird thing that happened one night. So uh, when I was 15 or 16, because I'm so old, that was maybe 1991, 1990 or 90, 1991, I had a part-time job in Cameron Toll where I sold trainers. Uh, my parents were self-employed so they worked quite long hours. And my sister, she was older than me so was, I think probably in the pub or something like that. Um, But I got home, it it was winter, I remember that because it was dark, Uh, I got home, the first thing that a teenage boy does is to plunk himself on the couch and switch the television on. Mm -hmm. Um, The television, the the room that the TV was in it had a bay window that the TV was to the side of so it kind of covered, the reflection from the the TV covered the whole room and the couch was to the right of the door into the room. And it was the 90s, so we didn't think about how we could save electricity and save the planet. So the TV was just on standby. And I picked up the remote to turn the television on and pointed it at the TV. And I could see to my left in the doorway was a man standing to my side. Um, The thing that kind of got me was that the the dog was in the room. We had a husky called Lobo and it didn't react to anything at all. And it, it was in front of me. So I could see it. I couldn't see anything out of my peripheral vision. I could only see the reflection Mm -hmm. in the telly and I was petrified. So it felt like five minutes, but it would have only been a couple of seconds that I was looking at the reflection and the figure turned and walked out of the room. But but what sticks out was that I remember it was wearing a trench coat and I remember the coat, You know, I I can't think of the the correct term for it, but as he turned it burled with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get what Um, you mean. Yeah. So I sat there for probably about a minute, just in shock, picked my jaw up and decided I was going to go and wait outside for my mum to come. Not
0: surprised.
1: Yeah, but I knew knew that they would think my imagination was just going nuts. So I didn't say anything to them when they came home. Um, When they came home, I was just like, I'm just getting a wee bit of fresh air. That's why I was outside. I made a point of going around the doors and the windows to make sure that they were locked and everything was locked and there was nobody in the house. Uh, The reason I don't think that that house was haunted even though I've just said that I I think I saw an apparition there was nothing else ever happened although now that I think of it I did have the attic room um, and the attic had uh, what called eaves that went around the side of my Mm room And I would hear scratching, which always made me think of the exorcist, the start of the exorcist. But the reality is it was probably just mice in the attic. But nothing ever happened other than that that made me think there's something weird here. It was just that one incident just for a few seconds. So, you know, whether I saw somebody standing to my side uh, or whether my brain was just tired and was confused, I don't know... um, the The house was built, I think, the late twenties, early thirties. So, it, the 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 clothing that I saw in the figure would fit with the age of the house as well. Um, but yeah, it was a very strange experience.
0: Very creepy experience.
1: It was, yeah, stuck with me. I still remember, like, if I if I was a good enough drawer, I could sit and draw the scene as I remember it, because it, it's yeah. really oh stuck in my head.
0: I've never had any experiences. No. No, haunted by previous bad outfits. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't think so. And it's not that I'm close to it. I don't know.
1: What about the garden?
0: Well, that's true. In our, our family house, I've always felt that there's someone buried under the apple tree. And I don't know why. I don't, it's just, I don't know where that comes from. I would like to dig it up at some point. But as my parents still live there, They're not allowing it. (laughs) So maybe when they sell, move, I'll have a quick dig. Uh, Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Mm. And I'm not sceptical. I am quite a logical, scientific person, but I do believe that there is not, I don't know if there's other things out there, but other things that we can perceive that we maybe don't let ourselves or aren't aware of. So I am open to it. Maybe my time will come.
1: Yeah, the land that your house will be built on. Kirstarfins. Mm. Uh, traditionally, it was been a separate borough from Edinburgh. And it was a lot smaller than it is now, um, and there are hauntings and ghost stories associated with it. You're not far from the dukit yeah. The, the White Lady,
0: yeah.
1: Christian Nimmo, I think her name is. Um, so you know, that's something that's within a half mile from where you live. Who's to say that something else hasn't happened? There would have been some kind of bloodshed on in these areas mm. at some point, given the. the the more nice. like nature of, of of the Scots people
0: yeah, there is a dog's gravestone in the back garden, there you go, so maybe there's a dog ghost in there.
1: there are lots of examples of animal spirits,
0: hm mm. well, there was a pet cemetery around there, apparently at some point
1: that could be what you're you're thinking of then
0: yeah. so your other after that it was quite a few years until you saw something else, and that was later on tell us about that one.
1: Yeah, so, um, Helena, she was the photographer at the time and she was commissioned by the people who owned, who bought the Isle of Gia, the, the, the community bought the island from the landowner. This was in 2006 that we, uh, she was asked to go along and take pictures so that she could help promote the island for their website. Uh, we took Gabriel along, he was, it was I think it was August, so he would have been about nine months old, so he, he was a quick learner, just started crawling. Um, but he came along with us, uh, we had quite a drive together, it's like five and a half hours and then there's a ferry ride. Um, the ferry ride was grand, you, you um, come off at the jetty and then the place that we were staying was a couple of minutes away from where we'd disembarked the ferry. And it was called the Ferryman's Cottage. Uh, Ferryman's Cottage is just your kind of standard um, cottage. Two floors, ground and upper floor, um, when you go in The living room was on the left, the kitchen was on the right, uh, the staircase was in front of you and it was one that doubled back on itself and at the top of the the staircase was the bathroom uh, which had one of those old fashioned half wood, half frosted glass doors. To the left of the toilet was the main bedroom and to the right was the spare bedroom that had a really creepy old Victorian type wooden crib in it. Um, Gabriel was not a good traveller so he'd been quite stressful all the way. uh, and it was kind of decided that when we got there, rather than empty the car out, we'd just, Helen would sort Gabriel out and I'd cook us some lunch, which, because we didn't have a lot of food with us, was just tomato soup. And I was cleaning up the uh, the dishes afterwards and washing the pot and the toaster that was about a foot and a half to the side of me just moved. Mm-hmm. It didn't move a lot. It, didn't, it wasn't like a, a violent action. It was just, it kind of... In my head, it's like a wee jump, maybe about an inch, inch and a half. Um, and I thought that there had to be an explanation for it, so I had a, I had a look at the toaster. I picked it up. Uh, the, the cable was all coiled, so I thought there must be some tension in the cable. And there's possibly there's some spilt water that's gotten underneath it. And the tension and the slippery surface mm-hmm. that's just caused it to move a wee bit. So I didn't really think anything of it. Um, After that I was knackered uh, and I loved a nap in those days, I still love a nap so I said I was going up for a wee, just for an hour, just for a kip Um, and I I tried to have a sleep and there's nothing unnatural or paranormal about this, I couldn't sleep very well, I'm not a good sleeper unless it's my own bed. Uh, I came back down the stairs and Helena had asked me what what I was looking for um, when I was out for a nap and I hadn't been out of bed, I'd just gone up, leaned down and then came back down. Uh, But she had seen somebody walk past the frosted glass in the bathroom from the bedroom where I was to the spare bedroom. And Just to kind of explain why I didn't really say anything about this, uh, the both of us kind of freaked each other out quite regularly. I remember walking along the Hermitage of Braid at a different time, kind of... uh, just at dusk and we thought we saw a pair of legs standing in the middle of the path and I pointed it out and then Helena got freaked and she ran away which freaked me out even more (laughs) so I've always I always had that kind of thinking in my head that if I say something it's going to make matters worse so I just kind of said I was just having a look at the cot again just to make sure it was comfy for him um and I just wanted to hard to be calm about stuff because we're on an island we're five and a half hours from from home um, there's nothing that we can do there's nowhere else that we could have stayed so we just had to get through it uh, that night before we went to bed we independently were kind of talking about how it'd probably be best to sleep in the, the living room rather than sleeping up the stairs because in our uh, thinking the living room had the television so we could just sit and watch a bit of telly and then fall asleep to that But the reality was that we didn't like the upstairs. We didn't want to go upstairs, which is difficult when the toilet was up the stairs, but we we kind of got over that. Um, So because Gabriel was crawling and he was a curious wee kid, uh, we decided that we would make a a barricade at the bottom of the stairs. So we took the coffee table. I got the parcel shelf from the car. We got some spare pillows and we just created this barricade that was probably a foot and a half high uh, that he couldn't get past. So we were quite comfy with that because we'd put the the main couch pillows on the ground so he could have crawled off and left us easily enough and we just didn't want to go back up the stairs. So uh, we slept fine, there was nothing really untoward that happened that night. The next day the weather was terrible uh, which was a shame because she couldn't really get any decent pictures, everything was dark and gloomy. we had, like, a, we went for a, a meal in the, the hotel on the island. I managed to put a hole in the oil sump of the car.
0: How did you do that?
1: Because I thought you could take a golf off-road, and it turns out you can't. Uh. But there's a, there was a farmer who'd heard about what I'd done with the car, and he brought his tractor along with his trailer and took the car away and welded it shut for oh, me. Oh, that's nice of him. Yeah, he never took a penny from us. We, we bought him a bottle of whiskey. Um, so if you're listening to this, Mr Farmer, that was extremely kind of you.
0: Mr Farmer.
1: Um, Yeah, so that was the Saturday, Uh, the Sunday was time for us to leave and we were packing up and we kind of reached the realisation, and this is terrible parenting 101, but we couldn't see Gabriel, we didn't know where he was. Um, We were kind of confident that he was in the house because the garden was it was um, enclosed he couldn't have got in, gotten out and if he if he had have found a way we would have been able to find him find him really quickly um, but we looked in the garden we looked in the car in case he crawled in we looked around the ground floor couldn't find him so he had to have been up the stairs uh, which he was i went up the stairs but i had to move everything out of the way of the barricade to get up the stairs and he was sat in the middle of the, the main bedroom in the middle of the floor yeah, absolutely fine he was just kind of playing away with himself. He didn't have anything to play with, but he was just kind of amusing himself. I was delighted that he wasn't like talking to anyone or anything, yeah. babbling to anything. Um, but I just picked him up and took him back down the stairs and it was like, right, we, we should go now. Um, let's, let's kind of make things happen a bit quicker.
0: So how did he get up there?
1: Don't know. He didn't move anything from the barricades. I I had to move everything. Um. the the last part of the job that that Helena had to do was that she had to take pictures of the ferryman's cottage She she didn't take that many but she took a couple external shots yeah so we got back um uploaded the photos uh i had a really bad pc and this is before the the days of like facebook and the cloud and things like that so we i don't have a copy of the pictures but uh, we had a look at the, the work that she'd done. The pictures were really good, but like I said, the weather was terrible so the lighting was awful and they, they just weren't pictures that the, the uh, website would have used. Uh, but the the interesting th- thing was the last two pictures that she had, which were taken of the, the Ferryman's Cottage. Um, the first picture that we looked at was the picture that showed the porch and in the porch you can see very clearly the outline or silhouette of a, a boy who looked like he was in his early teens. Um, You can't make out features, but you knew it was a a teenager, and you knew it was somebody who had dark hair, dark short hair. Oh, that's creepy. What was really quite creepy and really freaked me out was that around the the boy was an aura, like when you drop water into oil, that diffusion effect, like a rainbow effect. Um, And I just, I can't explain it, it wasn't a reflection, there was nothing in the porch that would have accounted for that, that we just got a funny mm-hmm. angle of it. it. It looked like somebody was peering around the, the window oh of the porch. Um, and the last picture was from front on and you can see the window to the bathroom in the picture and there's a light in the bathroom, even though we'd switched everything on, off. Sorry. And you can you can almost see that the light bulb in the picture and the light isn't coming from the light bulb, yeah. so we don't know what that is. I now, Helena's family were originally from that area, the, the Loch Gilphead area, and she's still got family up there. I think, if memory serves, she's got an auntie up there who was a bit of a an story, um, and the story got back. she told her dad, and I think the story was passed through the family, and the auntie got in touch with her dad to tell us that she knew a wee bit about the history of Gia, and from her records, somebody was murdered in the cottage. If, if memory serves, it was in the fifties or sixties, which could account for some of the activity that we had. You know, if somebody's murdered, then mm-hmm. potentially the, the spirit is left to linger, or that the events were made a, left an indelible mark on the property. I, I've never been able to find any record of that online. I'm, I'm not the best historian, so I do hold my hand up to that. But uh, yeah, the property is now, I think, an Airbnb, oh. and
0: I've,
1: I've toyed with the idea of going back. You should do. I've uh, like I've spoken to people about this, and they're like, "Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself through that again?" And I, I think it's because I've I've already been there. I've got expectations of what it was, and the main thing was that nobody was hurt. There was nothing particularly scary about it,
0: apart from your child moving.
1: <laughs> apart from Gabriel being able to get round a, a barricade that he shouldn't have been able to get round. Um, I mean, the the place had a creepy atmosphere. It definitely did. It's one of the few places that I've gone in not knowing about it. You know, when you go into the vaults in Edinburgh, you've, you've you're anticipating it being mm-hmm. a creepy place. Mm-hmm. This was just a cottage that had a bit of an atmosphere. It was dark and it wasn't the most welcoming. So, knowing what I know now, I I would be quite up for going and spending a couple of nights there and maybe stay up during the night and just seeing if anything happens and but seeing if I can get my hands on a couple of cameras and stick one in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and just see if anything like we experienced before happened again. It's definitely an interesting place.
0: So are you more likely to see a ghost on a camera or in a photo than you are using the human eye?
1: Well, I, I guess it depends. I think modern photography is digital camera now and it depends on your take on what a ghost is. You see a lot of pictures of purported ghosts that, you know, the person has to circle what they think is the ghost, or it's, it could be dust, could, you know, when they call it an orb. I've seen a couple of pictures of orbs that look like there's structure in the orb. It doesn't look like it's just light reflecting off a bit of dust or a raindrop or an mm-hmm. insect. Uh, you know, they've kind of left me scratching my head a wee bit. It, is that dust... Has it being picked up funnily or is there something more to it but the majority of pictures these days I think are just dust and I don't know that'll be controversial for some people but uh, so yeah you've got a kind of this sort of shift away from the classic apparition picture from your analog cameras to quite digital cameras pick up a lot of stuff mm-hmm. um we it's one of these things like people always say uh, why don't we see modern ghosts?
0: What is a modern ghost? Well, a
1: modern ghost would look like you or I. You know, we'd be, oh. we'd be dressed like us. Okay. So you could put, walk past one every day and you don't notice it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a very good point, actually. Um, and people are so engrossed in like their phones and things like that these days. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need to look out windows and you see people in their phones when they're walking and they're not paying attention. Yeah, that's true. So people can walk past these things quite often. Uh, I think also, you know, I'm, I'm not a big believer in. The spiritual side of ghosts. I'm open to the idea of an apparition being the spirit or the soul of somebody who's passed, but I'm more inclined in the rational. Mm-hmm. There, there's possibly a scientific explanation for these things, um, but some people seem quite open to to seeing things and having quite frequent events. But I'm not one of these people that, that regularly sees things or experiences things. I've just had a couple of weird things happen to me in my life. Um, through the through the website, I did have somebody who contacted me, a tour guide for the Museum of Edinburgh, uh, who shared her experiences. And she seems to be one of these people who's quite open, uh, and you could potentially say that she attracts some mm-hmm. spirits, or she could just be lucky or unlucky. Mm-hmm given that she works in a, a pretty old building, you know, it was a five, four five hundred year old location that she was in, it's going to have a lot of history mm-hmm. there. Um, the the Museum of Edinburgh is made up of three different buildings. Uh, the only one that I can recall the name of is Huntley House, but there have been some pretty big Edinburgh um, notable people that have lived in these places.
0: Are they on the Royal Mile? On the
1: Royal Mile, yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah I mean, she saw I think she was, if memory serves, she was rushed by what are classed as a shadow figure these days. She, they would hear the ghosts of children, and the alarms would go off at night. Workmen would would be there, and they'd be frightened off sight by some of the mm-hmm. things that they heard. Um, the, the thing that struck me about her stories is there's nothing really embellished about them. It's just very matter of fact. Okay. These these things happened. Um, we had a laugh about it a couple of times. She was pretty scared by by things and. Um, on a couple of occasions, the uh, the younger staff would go, would have to be accompanied around the building because something had happened that had scared people. Um, but it's not there's nothing embellished about it. It's just a story that she recounted. You know, if there was, people are talking about seeing demons or if you like your cryptozoology, these people are are saying that they have you have seen fifteen big feet things like that. It's just a bit ridiculous. Whereas
0: You're not gonna get that in Edinburgh, are you? No,
1: no. I, unless you believe in the Scottish Bigfoot Fe- and um, Fairleaf more up in Ben Macdui, Oh,
0: well, we'll have to talk about that another time. I've not heard about that.
1: I think that if, if there's anything there, it's going to be much more paranormal than a cryptozoological real flesh and blood animal. But yeah, I think there are potentially people who have who are a bit more open to it, a bit more on the spiritual side that can experience things that other people don't. And then there's also the, op- the possibility that people are just oblivious to what's going on around them and miss things.
0: Actually, I know a couple of people, I won't name names, who see them quite regularly, can talk to them. And these are like people that I know very well. You wouldn't expect that they would, like, it's just a part of who they are. And so I just wonder is it something that you're born with? Or is it, because they're not particularly spiritual people either, it's just something that they can do. And so I've always wondered what makes someone able to communicate like one of them can actually talk to them as in like sixth sense you know like why are you here what do you need me to do
1: that's crazy would they ever be interested in i don't know (laughs) anonymously sharing their experiences maybe
0: yeah i can ask yes now i've always wondered yeah are you born with it like an extra level of sensitivity yeah it could be like a sixth sense like
1: if you think about spider-man um what we're learning about Uh, the brain just now, you know, the amount of people that are being diagnosed with things like ADHD, Mm -hmm. autism, things like that, it's probably, we've probably got quite a narrow understanding of what kind of spectrum really that involves. And the brain is a weird and wonderful thing. There's so, so many things that it potentially could be doing. Uh, Is it, is there something in these, about these people's brains that, picks up on things differently, picks up on things that we we're not aware of. Uh, it's, it's crazy, uh, I know we've talked about the, the quantum realm mm-hmm. and things like that, how that potentially could, there's a lot of big ifs with these kind of things, like if consciousness can survive death, um, then you have a ghost, effectively. But for that to happen, consciousness would need to be on a molecular level, rather than a singular uh, thing, like your brain is your consciousness. Um, there's a an experiment that, uh, where they trained, uh, if memory serves, they trained butterflies, sorry caterpillars, in a maze to find food, um, and then when the caterpillar entered the pupil stage and uh, re-emerged as a butterfly, they repeated the experiment. Now you, you have to remember that during the, the pupil stage the caterpillar is liquid, it's a goo. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a brain, doesn't have a heart or a stomach or anything like that. Um, but when it reforms as the butterfly, it, it could remember the training that it had. So does that prove that consciousness can survive mm-hmm. on a molecular level? Uh, I should say that the credit mm-hmm. for this should go to uh, the parapsychologist Evelyn Hollow. I heard about this on a, uh, her talking about this on a mm-hmm. podcast called Out Here Podcast, Out There Podcast. Sorry, But she also talks about things like spooky action at a distance, which is a term coined by Einstein that explains how particles... That are very far apart can interact with each other at the same time. Um, so you can have a particle on the moon that can interact with a particle on Earth at the same time. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Did he use the word spooky?
1: Yeah, it's his, it's his phrase. Oh spooky action at yeah, a distance. I can't
0: imagine Einstein using the word spooky. There
1: you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that could also explain in some way, I can't quite put that into words how it works in my head. It's just one of these theories that. Uh, when I heard it, I was like, "Yeah, I can I can understand how mm-hmm. that could potentially explain some paranormal events." But if you think about uh, crisis apparitions, which are th- the main definition, is it's the apparition of somebody who's still alive or who's just passed. Um, there, there is a famous uh, example of I think it's quite a, a well-to-do family down in England where the the mother. I'm sure the son was off fighting, possibly in World War One, and the mother entered, I think it's the drawing room, and she saw her son sat at the her desk. Uh, he turned and smiled at her and then disappeared, if, if memory serves, if I've got the story right. But that was at the point that he was killed in action. So how could he be with mm-hmm. the mother and in France or wherever it was at the same time? And same thing happened with um, Bonnie Dundee, uh, John Claverhouse. During the at his death at the Battle of Killycrankie, he appeared to a friend who was a prisoner in Edinburgh mm-hmm. Castle at the time of his death. So, how does that happen? Yeah. Is is that an example of spooky action at a distance, where two things are communicating at great distances at the same time? There, there are. There's some really interesting people out there who've got some really interesting ideas about how quantum physics, quantum realm, could potentially explain some of the paranormal. Um, stories and things that go on in the world it's really fascinating
0: it is it's so interesting you
1: just have kind of open up your thinking that maybe you know there are still a lot of ifs. like i said if if the brain if consciousness survives after death that's the first big if and if it's on a molecular level then you can start to see how these things could Mm. could work on that that kind of basis it's fascinating
0: my friend thinks that you know a lot i mean all of us could have certain skills like this or it just is part of who we are and then it just you know when you have imaginary friends as kids and all these things and it's you're told it's all nonsense so you you learn to ignore all that and then you just become a boring grown-up
1: yeah you do uh, you know that i think everybody like everybody that i have naturally gravitated towards has been different Um different from the norm but you know they have like you say they, they have different qualities um, and I I don't know where I'm going with this or how I'm going to explain it, but I I, I can see why people feel that you know we it's basically training and education that changes it it mm-hmm. molds into who you are. Um, like you and I were talking about earlier before we started recording about how this generation are far more in tune with themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And mental health and things like that, which is something that we are not. And that's because that's the way that we were brought up. Mm -hmm. This generation is brought up differently to us, so they understand things differently, more differently to us. (coughs) But, yeah, I'm open to the idea that people have unique abilities. Everybody is different, and if you just think about how people communicate, how you write, you know, handwriting is a very unique thing. These are, we're all trained in the same way, but it's all... A unique difference that we have so who's to say that there aren't other things that we are less tangible for mm-hmm. it, for us to understand
0: Because I think we're still even trying to understand what the mind is or how it works Because 90% of our thoughts are in the subconscious So we're only 10% aware of what's going on in our own heads, let alone the rest of the world
1: Yeah, I found that stat recently about Somebody or the amount of people that don't have an inner monologue What? yeah it's well, They it,
0: could borrow mine if they like it's
1: yeah, ongoing I can't you know mine inner monologue goes all the time yeah. like, genuinely it's always going and th- there are people out there who don't have that who aren't talking to themselves who aren't like working through scenarios and things wow. like that in their head are they just like NPCs non-playable characters That <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> going on I just can't get my head around that so th- again there's a difference between what are normal people it's a huge difference
0: And are they just like living a normal life like the rest of us? Are they happier?
1: I don't know that part. It's something to look into, but I was just fascinated by that.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It's a weird one. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. So it's been really interesting hearing all your stories and why you got into this in the first place. So you have some amazing stories about Edinburgh ghosts, so we will have a chat about them in the upcoming episodes, but um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start.